Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Yeah, this morning we, we want to talk about uh, worship and how it has shaped our culture and uh, why the prayer room and, uh, and some of our, our history with the Lord in worship. Um, today during worship, uh, did anyone feel... Um, any of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, any love, joy, peace, patience, any of that stuff growing in your heart? Isn't it amazing how we can get things from God or get things about God through singing that we could never get through just thinking? Like there's, I, I use the word mystical a lot, and I don't use it to make you uncomfortable. It's in the Bible like 40 times, just mysterion. It's because... It, I use it a lot because there's so much mystery as to why things affect us when, when we worship, or how things affect us when we worship. Hey, welcome back, Raffi. Is that, is that a bagel? Of course it's a bagel. He's, he's from New York. Of course it's a bagel. Do you guys want to scoot closer to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw a Jets fan back there. Did you say a Jets fan? Wow. Jets, nice. Is that, is that baseball, too? Is this on? <laughs> They're, they're doing really good right now. Surprisingly, the Jets never do good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, the hat, it's just because I haven't been able to get a haircut in like two weeks. I mean, no disrespect. I do love uh, Detroit. It's where I came from. It would be more disrespectful if I showed you my hair this morning is what I'm saying. I just... <laughs> oh, this is going really well. Um, <laughs> I seriously, I'm so affected by everything. Can, um, I was actually thinking maybe we should start. I'll I'll put up that video and we'll kind of start from there. I have a quick video. Um, many of you know that uh, Upper Room Frisco. We're actually a plant from a church in Dallas called Upper Room Dallas. And uh, one of the one of our founders, founders are Michael and Larissa Miller. And Larissa spoke a couple weeks ago, and they posted a, a little snippet of it on uh, Instagram. And this video, I thought, was was just such a beautiful way to kind of start and talk about what it is that we do here. So can we play that video real quick? It's so integral to be a part of a body, a family, a community. You, you, you cannot, biblically, you cannot do this walk by yourself. And in the same breath, you cannot depend on the people around you for your intimacy with Christ. Yes. Amen. It's both and. So that when we come together, oh, it's very oily. Because you brought yours, I brought mine. Oh my goodness, we're going to break it, pour it at his feet. It's going to be so beautiful, but I can't give you mine. You can't give me yours. It doesn't work like that. So we, we, we cultivate that alone. It's so important to cultivate alone, and we cultivate it together. That's it. So good. Amen, Amen, right? Now, if you've been in this house for any amount of time, you've heard us talk a lot about family and community and don't do this alone and create history with people. Um, and I think what she's talking about here so translates to what we want to talk about with regards to the prayer room and what, because um, I think I, we've kind of inherited uh, the prayer room that Dallas, Dallas has too. And so we are trying to help people have an understanding of 
why, why the prayer room? Why, why does this happen all, all throughout the week? And I think she put it so beautifully in that, like, when we come on a Sunday morning, like, what we just experienced in here is, is kind of like the overflow oil of what Rafi is stewarding throughout the week in this room, mm-hmm. you know, of what all these worshipers, I mean, if you're up here, if, you're le- if you guys see a worshiper that's leading on stage, they lead a prayer set as well. That's just kind of how the culture works, that they, they spend their, their heart pouring out and, and, and stewarding this, their heart and their oil in that place. And then they come here and we're all like, "Woo! this place is so fun. It's so oily. But there's a cost to it. It's like my kids, um, you know, last they had all this candy last week. They were going around house to house getting candy. And my daughter's like, "Woo! free candy. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, it may be free to you, but it costs somebody something. When Jesus died, it was a free gift, but it cost something. And there's something about when these worshipers get up here on a Sunday morning that we all get to experience and enjoy the overflow of, but it's cost them something. Rafi, when uh, Larissa starts talking about oil and pouring it out, who does that make you think of from the Bible? Mary. What does Mary make you think of? Jesus. <laughs> That was my Sunday school answer. Too. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, share share with us like how that that story has like impacted your life of Mary pouring out her her ointment. Um, a lot. I think of I think Mary's like the gateway drug to understanding worship because it's a super radical moment, and I love that it's a woman, mm-hmm. and. And because Jesus is really like about women and them having a voice and not just having a voice, but one of the one of the things of that story that really impacts me is she understands something that the disciples don't. And Jesus is making it really clear, like she understands something. And he turns around and tells them, wherever you preach the gospel, talk about what she just did. And they're, like, still having arguments about, like, we should have done this with that or whatever. Like, they're, they literally don't get it. Like, they just missed what happened. And he's and what I think is crazy is we read that and we go, oh, these few guys, you know, wherever they preach the gospel, like, they're going to talk about her. That was all the people that preached the gospel to everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus is saying everywhere the gospel is ever going to be preached, ever talked about, there's something very significant that Mary understands that you guys don't even understand yet. So talk about what she did. And so just to like, for me, even the weight that Jesus puts on that action, that moment of her pouring out her costly perfume. But for me, um, it, I think it, it, that story gave me an understanding of what it is to see what happens when Jesus, when you see Jesus rightly, what happens? Yeah. That when we see him, something happens to us. And mm-hmm. our, our vision changes, our perspective changes, our heart begins to change. Like what we were talking about today, our value systems begin to change when we see him. Um, and when Mary, like I, th- I, I, I think what's interesting too about that story is clearly Jesus is not after costly oil. <laughs> he doesn't need that. He wasn't after Isaac either. Come on. He's not, that's not what, that's, he's not like getting richer off of David's like 
offering that. It said, I won't give the Lord something that, that doesn't cost me anything. When David gave that, it's not because God wanted David's money. <laughs> it's because God wanted David's heart. Yeah. It's because God wanted Mary's, Jesus wanted Mary's heart. And, and what Jesus is realizing in that moment or seeing in that moment is that he has Mary's heart. Because to her, it was nothing to give all that she had. And I also just want, I'll say this about Mary. Um, I think that story doesn't start, obviously, on that day. It starts way before that when in the story about her and her sister when um, Jesus says she's chosen the better part I think Mary gave Jesus the first place in her heart yeah. and um, that 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 totally definitely because when you talk about first love and everything in your life being aligned when Jesus is at the first place when he has the seat of your heart like that that's what I think Jesus is hitting on in that moment is I have Mary's heart and I want you guys to see what happens um, with that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so good, man. Um, I think that what, and it, when David is singing in Psalm 27, this is the one thing I want. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to be in your presence and inquire of you. I want to be in your house. Um, I think David would have given his entire kingdom and everything he had to swap places with Mary in that moment and sit at Jesus' feet because that's the one thing he desired his whole life was to look into those eyes and to be near that man and to be in, in his presence. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also the both and of David. Like when Larissa's talking about when she mentioned that like, we need each other. We need the corporate expression. We need what happens here on a Sunday when we are corporately beholding him. But also, we need the intimacy. And here's the thing about David is David was known as a friend of God. And honestly, you start to look at the life of David, and David knew how to be a friend of God because you see covenant friendships in his life. You see him and Jonathan, covenant friendships. You see David and his mighty men. Like, he knew how to be with people but also he knew how to be before God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't know, like I said, we don't know why worship changes or how worship changes things. Uh, we just know that when we worship the Lord, things change. Um, I want to throw a few cool things from Scripture at you. You, you guys are probably really familiar to, with this verse. It's a super famous part of Scripture from Ephesians 2, talking about by uh, grace were saved, and then it goes on to say, uh, for we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship is poema, which is the word poem, which means that we're not just God's robots or machines. We are God's poetry that he sang into existence, and we actually reverberate with the sound of his voice. In fact, scientists, they can't tell you why sound does what it does or why music impacts the human frame the way it does. But uh, even if you, if you dig down to subatomic particles, there's space between everything and it vibrates, which means that the entire universe really is upheld by the power of his. See, he sung or spoke everything spinning. In fact, there's a frequency, a sustained frequency um, that if you generate it, it will levitate 
a ball, and the ball will rotate. And if you introduce smaller balls, like planets, they will orbit the one that is rotating. And you can, I mean, there are these cool um, YouTube videos where you can look it up, but I just think it, it's, so, it's so amazing that we are actually composed, we are held together, and we vibrate with the sound of, of God's voice. The mark of the maker's song is, is in us. And there are, uh, there are these prayer movements throughout history that have shifted and, and shaped uh, history in dramatic ways. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, a, a group of German Christians called the Moravians. Anyone ever heard of the Moravians? Whoa! Hold those hands up again. Y'all are weird. This is amazing. <laughs> this doesn't happen anywhere else. <laughs> there are uh, these radical missionaries, and uh, there's a guy named Count Zinzendorf, and they're from Herrenhut, Germany, and they, they established this community of worship and prayer, and they, they decided that they were going to do an all-night prayer vigil, like 24 hours, so they filled the time slots. And then, uh, lo and behold, they just, they just wanted to keep going. Now get this, without manipulation or compulsion, their community began to volunteer to take time slots around the clock. All like 100 and, was it, 168 time slots around the clock had two to three people praying and worshiping at their compound. And uh, how long do you guys think it, it lasted? 110 years. Okay, so, so we've got these worshiping, praying, crazy Germans that love Jesus, right? They, they get, you know, infected with the Lord's love and decide, like, they need to take this out. They're gonna, and so they, they start a missions movement from a place of worship and prayer they were so radical that at times they would sell themselves into servitude or slavery so they could get on a boat to America to reach the unreached. There's this cool story where um, uh, this, this English boat was sailing and had a bunch of Moravians on it, and there was a, a seminary graduate, and his name was John. And John was on the boat, and this horrible storm came up, and the English Sailors were screaming for their lives because the mast was broken, the sail was shredded by the wind, and it, I read the account, John said that the wave was folding, or the, the sea was folding over the boat. They were taking on water, shipwreck was imminent, and all the English sailors were losing their minds. And they heard a song, and they looked over, and these Moravians were just sitting there singing praises like a bunch of idiots. Of course, we know that they're not idiots. They chose the best part. And this guy named John goes over to him and asks, aren't you guys terrified? And they said, we are neither afraid for our lives nor the lives of our children. And they went back to singing praises to the Lord, almost like they were asleep in a boat like someone else that we know of. Well, uh, the ship actually survives, and they're able to get to the shores of the U.S., and uh, John is talking to the leader of these Moravians, and the, the leader asks him, do you, know, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ? And this seminary graduate gives a seminary answer and says, I know that he died for my sins. And he said, that's not what I asked. Do you know him? 
And he says, he basically says, it's, it is now my sole purpose to know him. And John would describe that moment as his conversion moment, where he began to actually know Jesus, not just know things about him. I haven't mentioned his last name yet. It's John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church. Have you guys ever heard of the Methodist Church? <laughs> so here, here's the moral of the story. The fruit of the Methodist Church is attributed to a bunch of singing, praying Germans named the Moravians who wouldn't stop worshiping. See, they had developed a culture in, in this place of worship and, and prayer where they actually knew God to the point where they weren't afraid for the ship to go down, and that was the thing. That now all the Methodists and all the missionary Methodists, every single person, every fruit of that ministry comes from that one moment with the singing people. And, I mean, not, I was about to say similarly, not similarly, but um, us sitting in this room is, is the fruit of a decade ago, um, some people gathering in downtown Dallas and in an upper room and just praying and, and having a prayer meeting and deciding to continue having a prayer meeting. And, and this whole upper room thing was birthed from a prayer room. It started as a prayer room, and I have this saying that I tell people a lot about this place, and it's, I mean, we're not a church with a prayer room, we're a prayer room with a church. And that is, and that's part of our heart and part of the history that we come from. Yeah. What do you think about Psalm 132? You want to talk about that? This is savage. He keeps I know. No. Asking about like the most Babe, you're parts. jumping so far. He's like, we just started. Talk about Mary of Bethany. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that to me. Give me like minutes. Some tissues, please. <laughs> Let me jump in and you just, you just chime in whenever you feel well, something. I'm down. I, I, I actually think. There's this some... is your second interview, by the way. Oh, it's, cool. it's a group interview. Cool. God. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. My, this would be my fifth interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I that story that um, thank you. That story that Jeremy just told really impacted me a couple of months ago when I was like asking the Lord about. I was feeling like, dang, we just sit in a prayer room and like, I I tell people about Jesus at Walmart and at a restaurant, but like, my friends are in these missions organizations, preaching the gospel at colleges, traveling around the country. And I was feeling just like, ah, oh, like what are we what are we really doing? And and the Lord told me in my car to look up John Wesley's testimony. And and I heard this story. And I felt I felt the Lord tell me you guys are the Moravians in this story right now. And and it was almost like this I got this paradigm like there's a position almost, like how there was 12 tribes and one was the Levites, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's this position in the body of Christ where you need these people who are constantly looking at Jesus and super in love with him all the time. And, and these missions movements and these people that will do crazy things all around the world are so provoked 
to love by their expression and that it's been happening like over and over and over and over again throughout history. And it gave me this understanding like what I'm doing is important in the body. What Me coming in this room and just singing to the Lord, ministering to the Lord in this room is important for the city. It's important for this region and the world and what God is doing. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit? Yes. Come on. <laughs> See, now it's a competition. I'm going to try to get some claps. Okay. Wow. Can you speak Jeremy a little bit? Uh, Rafi, can you speak a little bit too? Because we all, we like, like, three of us, we have different journeys with the prayer room. I know that you have a journey because you, I mean, you were in New York area. Yeah, in the prayer room was in New Jersey. Yeah, and yeah, you, know, you were in you were in There's doing no a prayer room in Jersey. There's nobody in New Jersey, is there? Bro, are you kidding me? Oh you my know? God! <laughs> <laughs> Karen's from New- Karen's from Jersey. I- <laughs> Me too. From there's Jersey, lots loves of New Jersey. Yorkers in this room, but there's not that many. Yeah, I know. I know y'all are here. Um, you want me to? But yeah, talk so about yeah, it? just a little bit. Start like give us a well, give us understanding. New has no, not New Jersey, best. but your prayer. Room. <laughs> <laughs> talk about like where you come from. <laughs> he gets really so upset sorry. about bagels in Texas, <laughs> but he's very passionate. Well, but talk a little bit about your journey because you started, you were in a prayer room up in Jersey and then you came yeah. down to, to do the mission, the school here and yeah. all the different things. I feel like I was born in a prayer room. Yeah. Um, you were. I met his mom. She's fire. <laughs> the, I, the church I grew up in was really touched by the Toronto outpouring. And so when I was a kid, like Graham Cook, Mike Bickle, those type of people were speaking at my church when I was a baby before IHOP even was 24-7 or whatever. And um, and so I didn't know that that's what I was growing up in, but this, the basically the banner team of our church started a prayer room, and they called it Resting Place. And um, it was in North Jersey. The church we were a part of was in Wyckoff, New Jersey. It was called Bethany. And um, they started a prayer gathering. And the, to, to this day, the prayer gathering has been going... Um, for t- almost 20 years. So I literally grew up in this place, and I went, and they had a school, and I did their school when I was in high school, and I signed up um, to start being a part of what was going on. And my heart was really impacted. I started to play and lead worship, and really it was when I, the moment that this became like, I want to give my life to this, was when someone showed me the history of IHOP, Kansas City. And it's like all these crazy prophetic words of how something that seems really, really random, honestly, unless you know about the Moravians, which I think lots of the reason why some of us know about the Moravians is probably because of IHOP and what they like. If you're not familiar, IHOP stands for International House of Prayer. Yeah. It's a twenty. That's a that's a twenty four seven. There's like three people the in the room going. I have no idea. Not the pancakes. That's also a holy temple, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I I if you got. <laughs> oh, see, babe, you got a clap. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much I I. Jeremy, you, maybe you were already planning to go into this, but there's, there was lots of wild, like, prophetic encounters that the guy who started that house of prayer 
had with the Lord and these these really wildly accurate prophets who were saying some crazy things about what would happen, um, like thousands of young people are going to come to Kansas City and pray 24-7 and for Israel and all this crazy stuff is, is going to happen. And I think the guy who started it told the prophet who told him, like, you're insane. Mm -hmm. Because that would be the only logical response to some of the stuff that he was saying. And so when I started to hear this, this history of something that, like, it was almost immediate that I felt super involved in my church, super thinking that, you know, North Jersey was the most important thing in the whole planet, you know, like all this stuff, like wherever I was, you know, and immediately, like everybody, if you go, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to make a joke real quick. If you go to any metropolitan area, they're like, and the Lord said, this is going to be the beginning of where revival starts in America. <laughs> Every single one like that I've been to. And, uh, you know, and it's because you have, because the Lord, because there really is like history in a place. There's, yes. God has moved all over this country in crazy yeah. ways. There's wells everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's good. But that, when I heard that storyline that started all the way back in the 80s and I'm watching fulfilled prophetic words that did not make any sense to the guy who got them, but they're happening in front of me. And there's lots more that where that came from. I, I think I was 15 and I just said like, I wanna be a part of this. I immediately felt part of something so much bigger than me and where I was. And, um, and I felt so small, but I never felt, it never felt so good to feel so small. I'm like, God is doing something in the earth that I wanna be a part of. And, um, and so that was the moment for me. So then I, I continued to serve, but I really gave myself to that house of prayer. And then and then when you came here, then you came into a completely, like a, like a different prayer room, a different house of yeah, prayer. Yeah, it was like a different expression. Honestly, I mean, do you want to just talk about my story? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Because, I, oh, I mean, because the truth is, for many of us, when we get into this prayer room, well, for me, I did not enjoy it. I was like, and I'm good, and I'm good, you know? It'd be, I mean, I remember, my mom runs a house of prayer, and I remember the first time when she was learning to pray, and she's like, I'm gonna go pray, and I'd walk in, she'd be like, you know what I mean, like, and I mean, same, like, I didn't get it. I, I mean, I was part of a house of prayer for years, and I didn't get it, and it wasn't until I started committing to actually show up and be like, mm, I'll give it 30 minutes a week, that slowly, over time, that 30 minutes became not enough. And, and that's kind of how, it, it's one of those things. It's, it, you, it, it, uh, there's so much that we want to say even about what happens in the prayer room. There, you know, it shouldn't be your only quiet time, but there's a place of intimacy built in a room where you're sitting and you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And your thoughts are going all over the place and your to-do lists and your prayer list and and having to sit in that place and, and actually train yourself to quiet your soul. There's that aspect of it. And then there's a whole different element that happens when you choose to be part of a set and you're getting to be part of a stage with other people and you're all hearing the Lord. And sometimes you're hearing different things. And sometimes you have to actually then start going through the process of working out what it's like to corporately follow the anointing, to follow what someone, or, or to serve what someone else is hearing in that moment. Um, a big, huge thing the Upper Room talks about is, is this, this, this phrase called mutual submission, where, I mean, 
it goes into so many different areas. But when you're on a stage and the prayer leader is really feeling, you know, Psalm 139 or, you know, or, or, or this certain scripture, but the singer is singing over here about something completely kind of different. It's, it's trying to find the way to communicate and debrief. And, and, and there's so much spiritual vulnerability. I mean, we love small groups because there's a vulnerability relationally that you go into. But having to spiritually go through that with people is so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful way to grow. And so when we're saying get in the prayer room, we're not like come serve and come get burnt out in this place because we need you. We don't need you. You need this place. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much power with uh, from unity. We know that you know, when brothers dwell together in unity, it's very pleasant to the Lord. And there the Lord commands a blessing. This is Psalm 133. But it also says it's like oil. Again, there's the oil running down the beard of Aaron. It's a powerful anointing that comes from unity. And so when Ashley's talking about mutual submission, the way that that can uh, manifest like on a Sunday morning is if one of these guys worshiping gets a spontaneous song, we might not know that song because it's spontaneous, or they might be singing a chorus that wasn't, that's not up on the screen. Mutual submission in that moment looks like us rallying behind that chorus and singing it with the person over and over because uh, the worshipers are feeling the Lord authoring faith on something, authoring faith about who he is or what he's going to do, and they begin to sing it. And as we all join in, that unity releases power, which actually, it almost always leads to encounter. It almost always leads to a, a corporate outpouring or, or joy or dance breaking forth, or Casey jumps up here and says something wild and invites everybody up again, and you know, we just... It, it breaks through, and it brings that kind of liberty. And, and Michael Miller developed a, a kind of a, a loose uh, model for what that is, and, and he used the acronym FUEL, which is faith. So the Lord's authoring faith on something. We begin to sing it in unity, which leads to E, encounter, which leads to L, liberty. It used to be FOOF. Because it was freedom, but he realized that liberty also is the same word as freedom. And that was a much better acronym. Well, because also, you can, like, this morning, there are people that came in and they're having a really hard time connecting with the Lord. And there's people that came in and they totally got, they were there. And maybe exactly like, what they were seeing on stage is so the swirl that you're in. But there's something really incredible that happens when we unify around it. So whether you are 100% getting ministered to because it's totally on your level, or you are choosing to pour into that and to, and to gather around it is authoring, um, you're joining into what's happening in the room. So it is intercession for other people who are actually in that place that need it. It is, it is, it is declaring what is not yet in your life for yourself. There's so much that happens around unifying around what's happening in the room. It's sacrificing what we want, what we need, and showing up to this place to, to bring something. Like it's, it, is, it is called a sacrifice of praise. So when we show up on a Sunday morning, when you show up in the prayer room, there's something you're, you are pouring something out. It is, it is oil. You are, you are getting oil and you are giving oil. Um, it's this, this thing where we minister to him, we minister to him, like we, we bury, we're very specific most of the time 
um, and Rafi can talk to this, about choosing songs that talk to him directly. And we've talked about this before, that there's, you know, there's a difference in me telling you about, about Jeremy and me looking at Jeremy and telling him all the things that I think about him, love about him. There's a difference. And, and intimacy, you can tell, like, like the way that I talk to Jeremy is going to be different than the way that I talk to Rafi. The freedom that's here, the intimacy that's here, but that's been cultivated. Yeah. You shall call me a husband and not... I shall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I want to I say something, because I think I, I'm, trying to put, I'm trying to put myself in your guys' shoes, and I think for someone who's in a prayer room on a regular basis, lots of what we're saying is like, yes unity faith like that's what happens like my life gets changed by the presence when i come in and i see him and we minister to him and we submit mutually and all this stuff but i think if you're not coming to a prayer room you're you might kind of be like what are they talking about um and i don't know if any of you guys feel like that in the room but these are like everything we're talking about is like a handle or a tool that we use because we're doing these long prayer meetings with no plan except to meet with God or to minister to God. So it's different from church because when we come into church, there's a plan, there's songs, there's a sermon. There's, it's almost like you're like, like things are happening, you know? There's a plan, there's things that we're doing. When we come into a prayer set, like Monday morning, Israel, Lambert, and Alvaro are, are gonna come in here. And yeah, and, Is, and Israel's gonna be the prayer leader. And Alvaro's going to be the worship leader. And they're not going to, it's two hours, and they're not going to have a set list of songs. And I think all everything that we're talking about are the tools that we use to, to get to do our goal, which is to minister to the Lord. Our goal is not to hit a bunch of songs. Our goal is not to connect with people even and make everybody sing in the room. That if we were doing that, we'd probably have lights and a fog machine and all the stuff that lots of people use. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to minister to the Lord. And so that's, I just felt like to give that context to like what we're talking about, that's why. That's why we're, why we're talking about any of this. And, um, and I think it, it's almost like, I don't, I don't know who in, this, who in this room comes to a prayer set probably every week or every other week. Okay, see that's bomb. But there's lots of you in this room that don't that don't do that yet, and I feel like it could be for a number of reasons. It could be because you're busy. It could be because it's not working for you right now, or it could be because you don't because you don't know that it's happening, or you don't understand why we're doing it. You're just like this is a super cool church that does church a little different, and I think that's a huge reason why we're up here is to say the reason why we do church different is because we do this during the week. Yeah. I think that in this room, I don't think, I know that in this room, we have a lot of seasoned believers who've been walking with the Lord for, for decades. and They've seen moves of God. Yeah, you've seen moves of God. And, and, um, and if you're anything like me, you've also um, uh, been negatively impacted by by religion and gone through seasons of getting deliverance or, or getting free or detoxing if you want to call it that and that's in in those seasons of detoxing 
I think that we all realize sometimes that we, we, were doing, we were doing things from the wrong motive. We were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And often when we get, go through those seasons of detox, we stop doing those things altogether because they're associated with the, the religion, with the negative you know, season of life that we experienced. And then this exhilarating freedom comes inevitably, all the time, where you realize that the things you were doing were not the problem, but the heart behind it was. And I'm talking, I'm talking about serving and, and, and worship and intercession and all of these things that a lot of us have spent time doing for the wrong reasons, including me. And then when you, when you realize it and you, and you meet Jesus as husband, as lover of your soul, as best friend, you are inspired to get back to the things you did at first. Like it says in the book of Revelation, like remember, remember your first love, do the things you did at first, completely free of all performance, completely. And, it's, and, I, and I understand um, the rub sometimes as we're getting free from religion. It often feels like you just got out of a, a toxic relationship where you m- manipulated into doing things for someone else, yeah. right? Through shame and fear, cue all of the horrible teachings we've heard about the heart of God that have manipulated us through fear and shame to serve God. And then as we get free from those things, we actually enter back into doing the things that we did, and there's all of this life on it again. That was my journey at Upper Room, for sure. I'll go, I could connect back to Yeah, go back to where, where I, was about to, I was about to ask you to pick up where we left off. I was serving in a house of prayer in New Jersey, right? And I, I started serving and being a leader in church when I was super young, probably like 17, and I would say too young. And I didn't even understand sometimes what was happening, but I was experiencing a lot of what Jeremy was talking about, of feeling really obligated to do things that I, I just thought it was right, I'm serving God, you know, all that stuff. And I started to like, become just real nasty in my heart just over over like years of like I'm just gonna do it I gotta show up time after time like I'm gonna keep serving like this is what I'm supposed to do and I didn't realize the condition of my heart had grown so cold to the Lord um but he did and he had a whole plan that I wasn't aware of and long story short he drew me out here to do in the midst of being a leader you know whatever out there um he drew me to become a student again in the school at uh, Upper Room Dallas. And um, I still was unaware of where my heart was. But in those first three months, he, like he does, exposed what, where my heart was and also healed me of, of all of that stuff. Like, I'm telling you, and for months, I was just weeping on the floor of that prayer room in Dallas. Well, because you're required when you first get there to sit in the prayer room. Yeah. Uh, No. 16 hours a week we were in the prayer room. Um, And and I I couldn't get enough. I was going back for more more of, like, it wasn't just the 16. I wanted to be in there all the time. Yeah. Because I had, I felt 
like I had known God, but I never knew God like this. It was like I got saved all over again, and mm -hmm. like the stone had been ripped off my heart, and I was alive to Him. Yeah. And all that, like I had no shame. I would like tell anyone anything. Like it was just like this freedom, um, mm -hmm. and that happened. That happened for me in the prayer room. And I'll, I'll say this, one of the reasons why I think is when we come to church, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so you may have a few moments where you're able to connect with the Lord, just you and him, but that's not what church is like really for. It's for us to all come together. But in a prayer room, you get through your like religious stuff and your prayers and your reading scripture in like 15 minutes. And then the rest of the hour and 45, you're like, what am I supposed to do? And it's almost like, I got it. I'll just try to talk to him. Like, you know what I mean? And when you start, like, when you start that, um, it, like, it just gets better and better. Yeah. And so I'm saying that part to say, right around, like, three and a half months in, um, they were like, hey, you guys can start serving in the prayer room. And I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I was like, I do not need to serve in the prayer room. I'll be right there in the back corner while you guys are doing your thing. And um, and the t they had like auditions and the time passed for us to audition. And the girl who was scheduling the prayer room at the time, her name was Monica, called me because they had like her, I was like leading worship in the small group of our school with like the 10 of us. And they were like, hey, like we heard you lead worship. Like, why aren't you serving in the prayer room? And I was like, I don't want to. Like. <laughs> I love the prayer room so much. I don't want, I, and, and at first I thought it was just, I just want to be in there. But really under, it was like fear that this place that was so special to me would become a place of work again. And, yeah. and so I sat down with Trace. I don't know if any of you guys know Trace Howard. He's the director of the school and the original, like, um, Levite. Yeah, head of the prayer, head of the prayer room in Dallas. But he was just, Trace to me, like, I was just like, Trace, I don't want to do this, but they're, they asked me, and like, and Trace said two things to me that I feel like in those moments, I was healed of that fear. He said, Rafi, like, I, he was like, I love you, and I need to tell you the truth. We don't need you. He just looked at me in the face and he goes, we don't need you. That was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. Before that, I was like, everybody needs me all the time. And, I'm, and, and not from like a prideful place, from like a, I need to fill all these gaps and all this. And he goes, we don't need you. Like with a smile on his face. And he goes, but we would love to have you. And it radically changed like, wait, what? Like, this is not. And, and then he said, to me, or we started having a conversation. I don't remember how it was how it was said, but we started to have this conversation about how the how we're like a family. How this is like a family, right? Church is like a family. The prayer room is like a family, and and we started to talk about how when you're sitting at at dinner, maybe when when you are younger or you just got here, you're not going to be doing much except coming to the table and eating. But as you get older, your parents might ask you to set the table one night, or your parents might ask you to help cook, or maybe you're cooking the meal that night. And that, and, and that doesn't rob you from being able to enjoy family or the meal, 
It just, it just means you're actually part of how this all happens. Mm. And, wow, yeah. Good. So both those two phrases, the thing about family and, and me being like, it was literally a moment I had with the Lord is like, wow, like all these people have been setting these meals and I've been able to come in and just eat. And it's like, okay, it's my turn to set the table. So I started serving back then and it, it was great. Yeah. It was really beautiful. Yeah, what Rafi said, I really feel like is the heart of Jesus for us. And I, I know we need to wrap things up so we can get our kids. But he's so um, no strings attached with his love. I mean, he's looking at us right now saying, yeah, of course you don't have to worship me. You get to. Yeah. Like, I love your worship. I love when we speak. And the Bible is one of the most freeing books. It verifies this. If you read it through the eyes of Jesus, God never wanted our sacrifices. It's all over. It's Psalm 51, you don't desire sacrifice, or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken or honest spirit, a repentant heart. Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you don't desire, but my ears you've opened. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus even quoted this one himself, that, like that very verse. It's impossible, or this is uh, Hebrews 10, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you don't desire, but a body you've prepared for me. So God, he never wanted our sacrifices. He wanted friendship with us. He wanted an honest heart. He wanted interaction. He wanted children after his, his own heart. And now we actually get to worship him. He washed our feet, and now we get to wash his feet. He loved us first, and now we get to love him in return. Amen. Let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we can go get our kids. Yeah, and there's going to be a ministry team up here that can lay hands on you if you need prayer for healing or, or encouragement and prophetic word. Jesus, thank you that we get to worship you. How pleasant it is. How fitting and pleasant it is to sing praises to your name. How good it is to remind our souls to bless your name and remember all of your benefits. You're the one who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. You crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. You redeemed our life from destruction and you satisfy our desires with good things so our youth is renewed. We pray that you would increase the party of your presence in our heart. Father, that everything that happened in worship today that you'd breathe on even more throughout this week. Father, and that everyone who's turning towards you would see you running off the porch at them and teach us to, to worship. Teach us to pray just like you taught the disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.